This is chapter five of Heaven on Earth by Thomas Brooks. Now, this chapter is long, so there's about five sections. So this is chapter five, section A. Ways and means of gaining a well-grounded assurance. One, be active in exercising grace. One, the first means, if ever you will attain to assurance, then be much in the exercise and actings of grace. As the believing Ephesians, Ephesians 1.13, were in the very exercise and actings of grace, the Spirit of the Lord sealed them up to the day of redemption. Assurance flows in upon the actings of grace. Assurance is bred and fed. It is raised and maintained in the soul by the actings of grace. Grace is most discernible when it is most in action, and grace is made more and more perfect by acting. Neglect of your graces is the ground of their decrease. <clears throat> Wells are the sweeter for drawing. You get nothing by dead and useless habits. Talents hid in a napkin gather rust. The noblest faculties decline when not improved. Grace in possession is no more discernible than fire under the ashes, than gold in the ore, than a dead man in the grave. But grace in its lively actings and operations is a prince upon his throne, sparkling and shining. Ah, Christians, were your grace more active, it would be more visible. And were your grace more visible, your assurance would be more clear and full. As Paul once spake to Timothy, stir up the gift of God that is in thee. 2 Timothy 1.6 So I say to you, if ever you, you, would, you would have assurance, stir up the grace of God that is in you. Blow up that heavenly fire. Raise up those noble spirits. Never cease believing nor repenting, till it be clearly given into your bosoms, that you are sure that you do believe, and that you do repent, as you are sure that you live, and as you are sure that God rules in Jacob and dwells in Zion. Remember, Christians, all the honour that God hath from you in this life is from the actings and exercise of your grace, and not from the possessions of grace. Remember, Christians, that all your consolations flow not from the possession, but from the acts of grace. Remember, Christians, that the want of exercise of grace is the reason why you do not discern your grace, <clears throat> and <clears throat> why you have no more assurance of your future happiness. He that will be rich must constantly be turning the penny, and he that will attain unto riches of assurance must constantly be exercising his graces. Colossians 2 verse 2. There are none but lively, active Christians that know and feel those joys, comforts and contents that attend the exercise of grace. If thou wouldst not be always a babe in grace and a stranger to assurance, then see that thy lamp be always burning, see that thy golden wheels of grace be always going. 2. Assurance is obtained by obedience. 2. The second means if you would, Christians, attain unto assurance, then you must mind your work more than your wages. You must be better at obeying than disputing, at doing, at walking, than at talking and wrangling. Assurance is heavenly wages that Christ gives not to loiterers, but to holy labourers. Though no man merits assurance by his obedience, yet God usually crowns obedience with assurance. <clears throat> John fourteen twenty one to 23 He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, 
Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If any man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. In these words you see that doing Christians, working Christians, are the only Christians that shall have most of the love of the Father and the Son, and that shall have the choicest manifestations of grace and favour, and that shall have most of their presence and company. So in Psalm 50, 23. Unto him that ordereth his conversation aright will I declare the salvation of God, that is, I will declare myself to be his saviour, I will show him salvation, and I will show him his interest in salvation. I will save him, and I will make him see that I have saved him. He shall see the worth of salvation, and test the sweetness of salvation. So Galatians 6.16 And as many as walk according to this rule, that is the rule of the new creature, peace be on them, and mercy, and upon the Israel of God. The Greek word that is here rendered walk signifies not simply to walk, but to walk by rule, in order and measure, without treading aside, but making straight steps to our feet. Now these choice souls that thus walk according to the law of the new creature shall have peace and mercy in them, and peace and mercy with them, and peace and mercy on them. As many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be on them. Assurances of jewel of too high a price to be cast into the bosoms of any that walk contrary to the laws of the new creature. Such may talk of assurance and make a stir and a noise about assurance, but it is the close walking Christian that shall be crowned with assurance. Assurance is a choice part of a believer's happiness, and therefore God will never give it out of a way of holiness. The Lord hath set apart for himself the man that is godly, Psalm 4 verse 3. None are favourites in God's court, none are admitted to be of his counsel, but those who are all glorious within, and whose raiment is of embroidered gold. That is, those whose principles are full of spiritual glory, and whose practices are amiable and answerable in purity and sanctity. These are the persons that shall have the honour to have God's ear, and the happiness to know his heart. 3. Follow diligently the instructions of the Holy Spirit. 3. The third means, to gain assurance, the Christian must be kind to the Spirit, hear his voice, follow his counsel, live up to his laws. The Spirit is the great revealer of the Father's secrets. He lies in the bosom of the Father. He knows every name that is written in the Book of Life, for he is best acquainted with the inward workings of the heart of God towards poor sinners. He is the great comforter, and the only sealer up of souls to the day of redemption. If you grieve by your willful sinning, he that alone can gladden you, you then will make, who then will make you glad? Verily, Christians, when you turn your back upon the Spirit, he will not turn his face upon your souls. Your vexing of the Spirit will be but the disquieting of yourselves. Isaiah 63 verse 10 Look as all lights cannot make up the lack of the light of the sun, so all creatures cannot make up the lack of the testimony of the Spirit. Let me speak to you as God once spake to his people in Exodus 23 verses 20 to 23. Behold, says God, I send an angel before thee to keep thee in the way, thy way and to bring thee into the place which I have prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Provoke him not, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him.
So say I, behold the Spirit of the Lord, that is your guide and guard. He also is alone able to make a soul-satisfying report of the love and favour to you. Therefore, as ever you would have assurance, beware of him and obey his voice. Provoke him not, for if you do so by willful transgressions, he will neither comfort you nor counsel you. He will neither be a sealing nor a witnessing spirit unto you. Nay, he will raise storms and tempests in your souls. He will present you to the Father frowning, and your Saviour bleeding, and himself as grieving. And These sights will certainly rack and torture your doubting souls. The Spirit of the Lord is a delicate thing, a holy thing, a blessed guest, that makes every soul happy where he lodges. Therefore grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Ephesians 4.30 You will not grieve your guests, your friends, but courteously and friendly entertain them. Why then do you make so little conscience of grieving the Holy Spirit, who alone can stamp the image of the Father upon you, and seal you up to life and glory? Ah, Christians, the way to assurance is not to sit down sighing and complaining of the want of assurance, but it lies in your looking to the Spirit, in your complying with the Spirit, in your cleaving to the Spirit, in your following of the Spirit, in your welcoming of the Spirit, and in your honouring and obeying of the Spirit. As David said of the sword of Goliath, none like to that, 1 Samuel 21, 9. So say I, no means like to this to gain a well-grounded assurance of a man's happiness and blessedness. And as one said, if there be any way to heaven on horseback, it is by prayer. So say I, if there be any way in the world to assurance, it is by being fearful to offend and careful to please the Spirit of the Lord, whose office it is to witness to poor souls the remission of their sins and the salvation of their souls. For be diligent in attendance upon ordinances. The fourth means, if you would obtain assurance, then be sincere, be diligent and constant in assuring ordinances. He that will meet the king must wait on him in his walks, Isaiah 64 verse 5. Christ's ordinances are Christ's walks, and he that would see the beauty of Christ and taste of the sweetness of Christ and be ravished with the love of Christ must wait at wisdom's door. He must attend Christ in his own appointments and institutions, Revelation 2 verse 1, Proverbs 8, 34 to 30 and 35. That comfort and assurance that flows not in through the golden pipes of the sanctuary will not better the soul, nor long abide with the soul. It will be as the morning dew and as the flowers of the field that soon fade away. Hosea 6, verse 4, 1 Peter 1, 24. I have in the former discourse showed at large how the Lord is graciously pleased to cause his love and glory to beam forth upon souls in ordinances. And therefore I shall say no more on this particular at this time. 5. Pay particular attention to the scope of God's promises of mercy. 5. The fifth means to obtain assurance is, wisely and seriously, to observe what gift of God there is in thee that brings thee within the compass of the promises of eternal mercy. Now let the gift be this or that. If it be a gift that brings thee within the compass of the promise of eternal mercy, that gift is an infallible evidence of thy salvation. For the better and further opening of this truth, take note of these three things. First, no man can have any evidence to himself of his happiness and blessedness from absolute promises. 
Absolute promises do not describe to whom salvation and all eternal blessings do belong. The promises of giving Christ, of giving the Spirit, of giving a new heart and of pardoning and blotting out sin are all absolute promises. Now God is free to make good these to whom he pleases. Therefore he often passes over the rich and chooses the poor, the learned and chooses the ignorant, the strong and chooses the weak, the noble and chooses the ignoble, the sweet nature and chooses the rugged nature, and so on. That no flesh may glory and that all may shout out, Grace, grace, 1 Corinthians one twenty-five to 29 Secondly, no, though no man can have any sure evidence of his happiness and blessedness from absolute promises, because absolute promises do not describe the persons to whom salvation and all eternal blessings do belong, yet absolute promises are of most choice and singular use. One, <clears throat> I think what he's saying here is, I can't say that I'm saved by who I am, um, that um, they don't describe the type of person that's saved. Um because God saves all kinds of people. Because I am saved, but I have faith in Jesus. One, in that they reveal to us that our salvation is only free from free grace, not from anything in us or done by us. Two, that they are most sure and glorious foundation. They are our most sure and glorious foundation for the very worst of sinners to stay their filthy, guilty, wearied, burdened, perplexed souls upon. Seeing what God looks not for any penny or pennyworth, for any portion or proportion in the creature to draw his love, but he will justify, pardon and save for his name's sake, Isaiah 55 verses 1 and 2. Seeing all the motives that move God to show mercy are in his own bosom, seeing they are all within doors, there is no reason why the vilest of sinners should sit down and say, there is no hope, there is no help, Deuteronomy 7 verse 7 and 8, Psalm 68, 18. Thirdly, Absolute promises may, and doubtless often are, choice cordials to many precious souls who unhappily have lost the sense and feeling of divine favour. Absolute promises are waters of life to many precious sons of Zion. They are a heavenly fire at which they can sit down and warm themselves when they cannot blow their own spark into a flame, and when all candlelight, torchlight and starlight fails them, when all other comforts can yield a perplexed, distressed soul, no comfort, then absolute promises will prove full breasts of consolation to the distressed soul, as John ten twenty nine, Isaiah 31, 3, and 57, 15, Hebrews ten thirty seven. These things being premised, see now what gift of God there is in thee that brings thee within the compass of the promise of everlasting happiness and blessedness. To help you a little in this, I shall put you in mind of these following particulars. 1. The first gift, faith is a gift of God that brings the soul within the promise of everlasting blessedness, as the scripture doth everywhere evidence. He that believes shall be saved. He that believes shall not come into condemnation. He shall not perish. He shall have eternal life. Mark 16, 16. John 3, 15 and 16. John 1, 12. Now believing is nothing else but the accepting of Christ for thy Lord and Saviour, as he is offered to thee in the gospel. And this accepting is principally, if not only, the act of thy will, so that if thou art sincerely and cordially willing to have Christ upon his own terms, upon gospel terms, that is to save thee and rule thee 
to redeem thee and to reign over thee, then thou art a believer. Thy sincere willingness to believe is thy faith, and this gift brings thee within the compass of the promise of eternal happiness and blessedness. Christian reader, in the discourse that follows this, thou wilt find the nature, the properties, and the excellences of a sound, saving faith clearly and largely laid open before thee. And therefore I shall say no more to it in this place, but refer thee to what follows. 2. The second gift, waiting patiently on God, is a gift that brings thee within the promise of everlasting happiness and blessedness. And he that hath but a waiting frame of heart hath that which God will eternally own and crown. Isaiah 30 verse 18. And therefore will the Lord wait that he may be gracious unto you, and therefore will he be exalted that he may have mercy upon you. For the Lord is a God of judgment. Blessed are all they that wait for him. Verily, it is no iniquity to pronounce them blessed that God pronounces blessed. It is no piety but cruelty and inhumanity for any not to be as merciful to themselves as God is merciful to them not to have as sweet and precious thoughts of their present condition as God hath. If God says the waiting soul is blessed, who dares judge? Who dares say it is not blessed? Let God be true and every man a liar, Romans 3, 4, Isaiah 64, 4. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, neither have the eyes seen, O God, besides thee, what he hath prepared for him, that waiteth for him. Proverbs 8, verse 34. Blessed is the man that heareth me, watcheth daily at my gates, and waiting at the posts of my doors. Isaiah forty nine twenty three. They shall not be ashamed that wait for me. That is, I will never fail the waiting soul. I will never put him to blushing by frustrating his patient, waiting on me. The waiting soul shall bear the belt and carry away the crown at last. Verily, glorious love and power is as much seen in keeping up a poor soul in a patient waiting on God as it was in raising Christ from the grave and as it is in bringing souls to glory. Nothing can make the waiting soul miserable. Hold out faith and patience but a little and he that shall come will come and bring his reward with him. Revelation twenty-two, eleven, twelve. 11-12. The third gift, hungering and thirsting after righteousness, is a gift that brings the soul within the compass of the promise of everlasting happiness and blessedness. Matthew 5, 6 Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Or as it runs in the Greek, Blessed are they that are hungering and thirsting, intimating that wherever this is the present disposition of men's souls, they are blessed and may expect spiritual repletion. In relation to this, we read in Isaiah 44, verses 2 to 5, Thus saith the Lord that made thee, and formed thee from the womb, which will help thee. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and thou, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty, and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed, and my blessing upon thy offspring. And they shall spring up as among the grass, as willows by the watercourses. One shall say, I am the Lord's, and another shall call himself by the, say, the name of Jacob, and another shall subscribe with his hand unto the Lord, and surname himself by the name of Israel. Of the like consideration is that of Isaiah 35, 6 and 7. 
Then shall the lame man leap as an heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break forth as streams and streams in the desert. And the parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water. In the habitation of dragons, where each lay shall be grass with reeds and rushes. To the like purpose is that in Psalm 107 verse 9. For he satisfieth the longing soul, and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. But that none may mistake or miscarry in this business, that is of eternal concern to them, I shall desire them to note these following things for a better and fuller clearing of this particular truth that we are presently considering. First, all real hungerings and thirstings after righteousness are earnest and vehement thirstings and longings. They are like Rachel's longing for children, and like Samson's longing for water, Psalm 42, too. As the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before thee? Philosophers observe that of all the beasts, the heart is most thirsty by nature, but most of all thirsty when she is hunted and pursued by dogs. Says David, as the hunted heart, as the wounded heart, yea, as the she-heart, in whom the passions of thirst are strongest, panteth after the water-brooks, so doth my soul pant after thee, O God. The gracious soul panteth and fainteth, it breatheth and breaketh, for the longing it hath at all times, after the righteousness of Christ imputed and infused. Psalm 119, verse 20. The Greeks derive their word for desire from a root that signifies to burn. Ah, Christians, real desires are burning desires. They set the soul all in a holy flame after God and Christ. If they are not vehement, if they do not put an edge upon thy affections, if they do not make thee like the burning seraphim, Christ will take no pleasure in them. They shall return into thy own bosom without working any wonders in heaven, as those desires do that flow from the soul's being touched with a coal from the altar. Secondly, all real hungerings in the soul after righteousness arise from spiritual and heavenly considerations. Psalm 63, 1-4 and 27, 4. Philippians 3, verses 7-10. to 10. They spring in the soul from some convictions, some apprehensions, some persuasions that the soul hath of a real worth, of a real beauty, glory and excellency that is in Christ and in his righteousness imputed and imparted. Such desires after righteousness that flow from external considerations are of no worth, weight or continuance, but those desires after righteousness that flow from spiritual considerations are full of spirit, life and glory. They are such that God will not only observe but accept, not only record but reward. Psalm 145 verse 19. Thirdly, real hungerings and thirstings after Christ and his righteousness will put the soul upon lively endeavours. If they are true-born desires, they will not make the soul idle, but active, not negligent, but diligent, in the use of all holy means, whereby the soul may enjoy Christ and his righteousness. Isaiah 26, verse 9. With my soul I have desired thee in the night. Yea, with my spirit within me I will seek thee early. Real desires will make us earnest and early in seeking to obtain the thing desired, as the Hebrew word imparts, imports. 
A thirsty man will not only long for drink, but labour for it. A condemned man will not only desire his pardon, but he will write and entreat and weep and set this friend and that to solicit for him. A covetous man doth not only wish for wealth, but will rise early and go to bed late, and he will turn every stone and make attempts upon all hopeful opportunities, whereby he may fill his bags and his barns. Even so, all holy desires will put souls upon the use of the means, whereby the mercy desired may be gained. And thus to run is to attain, thus to will is to work, thus to desire is to do the will of our Father, who accepts of pence for pounds, of mites for millions. The Persian monarch was not so famous for accepting a little water from the hand of a loving subject as our God is for accepting a handful of meal for a sacrifice and a gripe of goat's hair for an oblation, for accepting of that little we have and for accounting our little much. Leviticus 2.2, 2, Exodus 35.6, 2 Corinthians 8.12 Noah's sacrifice could not be great and yet it was greatly accepted and highly accounted of by God. Such is God's condescending love to weak worms that he looks more at their will than at their work. He minds more what they would do than what they actually do. He always prefers the willing mind before the worthiest work, and where desires and endeavours are sincere, there God judges such to be as good as they desire and endeavour to be. Fourthly, spiritual hungerings and thirstings are only satisfied with spiritual things. John 14 verse 8. Show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. All things in the world cannot suffice us, but a sight of the Father, that will satisfy us. Psalm 63, verses 5 and 6. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. When I remember thee upon my bed, and meditate on thee in the night watches. Psalm 65, verse 4. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of thy house, even of thy holy temple. It is only God and the precious things of his house that can satisfy a thirsty soul. It was a sweet saying of one, As what I have, if offered to thee, pleaseth thee not, O Lord, without myself, so the good things we have from thee, though they may refresh us, yet they cannot satisfy us without thyself. The rattle without the breast will not satisfy the child. The house without the husband will not satisfy the wife. The cabinet without the jewel will not satisfy the virgin. And the world without Christ will not satisfy the soul. Luther, in a time of want, receiving unexpectedly a good sum of money from one of the electors of Germany, being somewhat amazed, turned himself to God and protested that God should not put him off with such poor low things. The hungry soul will not be put off with any bread, but with the bread of life. The thirsty soul will not be put off with any water, but with the well springs of life. As the king of Sodom once said, Take you the goods, give me the persons. Genesis 14.21 So says the hungry soul, Take you the goods, take your honours and riches and the favour of creatures. Take you the corn, the oil and the wine. Give me Christ. Give me the light of his countenance. Give me the joy of his spirit. Oh, the answering of spiritual breathings is very sweet to the soul. Proverbs thirteen nineteen, The desire accomplished is sweet to the soul. Returns from heaven make a paradise in the soul. I have read of Darius that when he fled from his enemy, being in great thirst and meeting with a dirty puddle of water, 
with carrion laying in it, he sucked in and drank very heartily of it and professed that it was the sweetest draught that ever he drank in his life. Ah, how sweet then are those waters of life that be at God's right hand. How sweet are the droppings of God's honeycomb upon the hungry soul. Water out of the rock and manna in the wilderness was not so sweet to the hungry, thirsty Israelites as spiritual answers and spiritual returns are to those that hunger and thirst after spiritual things. 6. Six matters in which Christ's true followers are distinguished from all others. The sixth means to obtain a well-grounded assurance of your everlasting happiness is to be much, yea, to excel in those choice particular things that make clearly and fully difference and distinguish you not only from the profane but also from the highest and most glistering hypocrites in all the world. It is nothing to be much in those duties and performances wherein the worst of sinners may equalise, yea, go beyond the best of saints. Oh, but to excel in those things that the most refined hypocrites cannot reach to, this cannot but much help you on to assurance. He that hath those jewels in his bosom that God gives only to his choicest favourites needs not question whether he be a favourite. If he doth so, it is his sin. He will hereafter be his shame. But you may say to me, what are those choice and particular things that may difference and distinguish Christ's true Nathaniel's from all other persons in the world? Now to this question I shall give these following answers. The first distinction. A true Nathaniel in his constant course labours in all duties and services to be approved and accepted of God. He is most studious and industrious to approve his heart to God in all that he puts his hand to. So, David, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Psalm 139, 23 and 24. So Peter approves his heart to Christ three several times together. Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. Lord, thou knowest all things, thou knowest that I love thee. John 21, verses 15 to 17. Thou knowest the sincerity and reality of my love, and therefore to thee do I appeal. To the same purpose the Apostle speaks 2 Corinthians 5, 9. Wherefore we labour that, whether we are present or absent, we may be accepted of him. The Greek word that is here rendered is... Just find that again. Rendered labour is is a very emphatical word. It signifies to labour, uh, to labour, and endeavour with all earnestness and might. Just uh, checking my page there. To labour with all earnestness and might, and in, to endeavour with a high and holy ambition to be accepted of God judging it the greatest honour in the world to be owned and accepted of the Lord. Ambitious men are not more diligent, earnest, studious and laborious to get honour among men than we are, saith the Apostle, to get acceptance with God. Ah, but your most refined hypocrites labour only to approve themselves to men in their praying, fasting, talking, hearing, giving and so on. Let them have but man's eye to see them and man's ear to hear them and man's tongue to commend them and man's hand to reward them and they will sit down and bless themselves, saying, It is enough. Aha, so would we have it. I'm just going to check something here. Um, the, the, the right page to stop. So, 
Um, please bear with me for just a few seconds and then we'll be back on reading again. Um, so, yeah, this is very long. Okay. So, chapter five. So, we actually have. Okay, I'm going to stop shortly. Um, yeah. They say of the nightingale that when she is solitary in the woods, she is careless of her note, but when she conceives that she hath any auditors or is near houses, then she composes herself more quaintly and elegantly. Verily, this is the frame and temper of the best of hypocrites. Oh, but a sincere Nathaniel labours in all places and in all cases and services to approve himself to God. He labours as much to approve himself to God in a wood when no eye sees him as he doth when the eyes of thousands are fixed upon him. The sun would shine bright through all men, though all men were asleep at high noon and no eyes open to see the glory of his beams. So a sincere heart will shine. He will labour to do good, though all the world should shut their eyes. Yet he will eye his work and eye his God. He knows that God is totus oculus, all eye. and Therefore he cares not, though others have never an eye to observe him, to applaud him. Let God but secretly whisper to him in the ear and say, Well done, good and faithful servant. And it is enough to his soul, to, enough to satisfy him, enough to cheer him and enough to encourage him in his ways and the work of God, of his God. Two, the second distinction. He labours to get up to the very top of holiness. He labours to live up to his own principles. He cannot be satisfied with so much grace as will bring him to glory, but he labours to be high in grace that he may be high in glory. Philippians 3 verse 11. I desire, if by any means... I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, that is, to the, that perfection that the dead shall attain to in morning of the resurrection, in the morning of the resurrection. Verily, that man is right for heaven, who counts it his greatest happiness to be high in holiness, that man shall never be low in heaven, a doorkeeper in heaven, that cannot be satisfied till he be got up to the very top of Jacob's ladder, till he hath attained to the highest perfection in grace and holiness. Psalm 45. 13. The king's daughter is all glorious within. Her clothing is of wrought gold. Her inward principles are all glorious, and her outward practice echoes to her inward principles. Her clothing is of wrought gold. It was the honour and glory of Joshua and Caleb that they followed the Lord fully, Numbers 14.24. That is, they lived up to their own principles. So those virgins in Revelation 14.4 and 5 that were without spot before the throne of God. They followed the Lamb wheresoever he went, that is, they lived up to their profession. There was a sweet harmony betwixt their principles and practices, and thus the apostles lived, 2 Corinthians one twelve. For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world, and more abundantly to you would, 1 Thessalonians 2.10. Ye are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. Thus we see those these worthies living up to their own principles. Blessed Bradford and Bucer lived so up to their principles that their friends could not sufficiently praise them.
nor their foes find anything justly to fasten on them. I'm going to leave that there for today. Um, that's a long enough section. And um, how encouraging that was too.